the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. I really missed you guys last week. I got on the phone as usual, and there was nobody there. <laughs> morning, Henry. Good morning. Well, we are back live after uh, after a week off. Uh, we had a repeat show 
last week. Uh, but joining us for today's edition and uh, taking up the third chair in our roundtable, former high-ranking government official and two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to the show. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Good morning Mark. Mark. Did you did you fare okay uh, down there in Mississippi uh, in the wake of Ida? Well, you know, we did. I, I am only about uh, 15 miles or so, maybe less than that, from the Mississippi, Mississippi-Alabama border. So we're quite far east, and the storm, as everybody knows, it made uh, landfall in Louisiana. So we got, oh, I had about six feet of storm surge in my yard, but uh, that's that's not a dangerous level. In fact, there was very little... Yeah, six feet. Yes, and uh, very little. That sounds like a lot right to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's right. over my head, Mark. It's right on your perspective. But uh, my uh, very little debris came in. Sometimes last year, Zeta was much more powerful. It hit further to the east. But the rain. What happened? It's uh, same thing happened in New York, uh, where only there was even more dramatic with the convergence of a storm. But it rained. The storm was so slow moving. There was torrential rain. Now, where I'm, I'm just a quarter mile off the coast, so the water just sort of goes right off into the uh, coast. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not a. It, it doesn't cause flooding, if you will, right where I am. But 20 miles to the north of us, or maybe 25, there was a county road, and in the middle of the night, it washed out. There was a seven-car pileup, and uh, oh. two people were two people were killed, and others were injured. So. You know, this storm, storms, uh, I'm going on at length, but storms have a wind is a factor, and then storm surge is a factor, and then rain is a factor. And uh, we were lucky, but you probably have seen this in Louisiana. They had more uh, damage to the electrical grid than they did with, like, Katrina and Zeta combined. So it was a big storm. Yeah, clearly. Clearly, all the way across the country, even up to the, the, the uh, northeast coast. So your car, is still on, your car is still on four wheels, right? Oh, yeah. No, no, Henry, that takes me. But, but here's the problem. You know, there's another two months left in this season. Uh, Zeta came in at the end of October last year. So we're not, it's not it's just to say, okay, at the end of August there was a storm. Uh, we've got a ways to go here. But uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell one other little story. This is about the climate change. There's a laboratory down here. Uh, University of Southern Mississippi, and they do a lot of work with oysters. And a fellow I know, he, he takes care of oyster beds. They they have them out there. They're in cages. They're growing the oysters to replenish stock. Well, they brought they had to bring them all in because of the storm. And then uh, they have them oxygenated or whatever the term is with, inside with electrical, you know, uh, power. Uh, and and their generator failed, so the oxygen oh. levels cratered, and, and they lost. Hundreds of thousands of oysters they've been growing for a period of time. So, uh, you know, there are just a lot of ramifications of all of this is, is what I would say. Uh, it's quite amazing. But uh, anyhow, thanks for asking. But, uh, yeah, we're okay. It was ironic. It was on the same, it's the same anniversary date as Katrina. Correct. That's right, Paul. And here's the thing. People here, I'm in Mississippi. Katrina did not hit directly in New Orleans. It hit east in mississippi it was the it was the rain again and the flooding that caused the problem with the dikes but the the wind and the storm surge were greatest over mississippi and people here were petrified because 
apparently this storm, Ida, it basically was the same thing as Katrina. It suddenly formed suddenly, and then it intensified greatly, and it was headed on that trajectory. And they were worried that it would do what Katrina did, which was sort of at the last minute veer, veer north and into Mississippi rather than onto New Orleans, towards New Orleans. And uh, people were afraid. It's very interesting because what happens is if you're stuck here and you, you, if you have decided not to leave, then the storm comes and changes its course. It's too late to leave often. I mean, here, uh, I live just south of 10 and, and just closer to 90, which is the old U.S. highway, just south of uh, east-west, south of 10. And y- the traffic was horrendous on uh, Sunday and Monday, people, people leaving, going east. Unbelievable. I recall seeing pictures of some of the traffic lines, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you couldn't, it, it, there comes a point when even if you decide belatedly to leave because the storm changes course, and they issue a mandatory evacuation, it can be too late. And that's, uh, you know, let alone I've got a car. Some, a lot of people here, it's a very, you know, modest area, and a lot of people don't have transportation. Mm. Mm. I uh, didn't realize that. I thought everybody just about had transportation. Not, not really. We're the poorest state in the nation. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have transportation, a lot. So they can't leave. They, they're stuck. They're dependent. Uh, you know, there may, maybe their neighbor will say, hey, uh, Myrtle, do you need a, uh, you want to go someplace? And, it, and if she says no and they leave, uh, then it's too bad for her. She's done. Yeah. She's, she's got to stay there. Um, you know, I was going to say, one, cur- one curious thing I thought I heard, if this is accurate, were there more deaths in the New York, New Jersey area than there was in Louisiana? Yeah, that's correct, uh, and that may not hold up over time, though, because people are dying because of the lack of electricity in the New oh, Orleans area. Oh. And and uh, so, but that's right. I think there were something like fifty deaths. And uh, yeah, to I, me, I it's heard, heard that on some broadcast. Yeah. My yeah, my I last question, real quickly. My last question: Why doesn't the government take responsibility to do the things for people that they can't do for themselves and evacuate them? Well, the, uh, the the decision to do a man- mandatory evacuation is made in concert with what people say where the storm is going to hit, and it wasn't going to hit here. And, the, and this is a tricky thing. You know, Bill de Blasio, I think it was what he said was idiocy. From, uh, he said, from now on, we're going to tell everybody to prepare for the worst. Well, if every time you have a weather event, you tell them to prepare for the worst, then but when the, when the real storm comes, they're, they're going to say, well, I evacuated last four times and nothing happened. It's tricky. It really is tricky. You've got you to get people out when it's a real threat. And, and we're, look, I grew up in the 60s, and uh, they didn't have those weather satellites. There was nothing more exciting than a snow day when you woke up in, in, <laughs> in, the, third gr- in the third grade. <laughs> there was snow on the ground, and there was no school. But now we've got all these weather satellites, and we do far, far better on the weather. But we still don't know everything. And these, this, this storm, and it's as one friend of mine said, they do a better job, he felt, on tracking the, uh, on predict, projecting the trajectory of the storm than they do on the intensity, because sometimes the factors can change. And then in this instance, uh, you got a storm that strengthened dramatically in the last, uh, last uh, day or two. So that's the problem for, for uh, if you're a public official making that decision. And they did. 
have mandatory evacuations, but west of here. I mean, I think that I think the system by and large worked. Uh, frankly, I, I I really do. I would give I would give the region pretty high credit, you know, pretty high grades here. You know, Mark, it's it's funny. I hadn't planned on on taking this whole segment to talk about the uh, the hurricane, but it's fine. I remember interviewing uh, a journalist who had been there um, when Katrina hit, and she lived in Mississippi in the town that caught the full brunt. And I'm trying to remember the name of the town. It was Bay something. Bay Saint might have been Bay Saint Louis. That's really it was Bay, yeah. Bay Saint Louis. And yep. she made a comment that was really interesting, and again, I, my memory fails me. I can't remember which hurricane it was, but there was a hurricane previous to Katrina that ended yep. up kind of fizzling out. Yep. And whatever the name of that hurricane was, she said that hurricane killed more pe- people in Katrina than Katrina did. That's correct. That was the 60s. That was in the 60s, and if you hadn't said that... Uh I would have remembered the name, even though I wasn't here, because that's a common refrain that people say that uh, because they, those who stayed and wrote it out, said, "Oh, it wasn't that bad." And uh, exactly, people have long memories. They yeah. have long memories on these storms. So it's, I am, uh, I am sensitive to the uh, the the difficulty of being in a, a public position when you're dealing with us, given. Uh, Given all these factors, you've got to prepare and you've got to be ready. And uh, but, but but there are just a lot of changes to take place. Frankly, and what you had here was this is a very poor part of Louisiana where the storm really hit too. Very uh, down down uh, in the south there, very different. Uh, n- not even a lot of of solid roads and things down there. It's a kind of different lifestyle, if you will. Well, we just have a couple of minutes. I'm going to go ahead and try and dig into at least the quote of the week and the, or the uh, the finish the quote, and then we'll do the the quotes of the week on the other side of the break. Um, but this is uh, fashioned after uh, Flint-based comedian Mark Bono's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. And this is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? The truth has no defense against what? Hmm. Against uh, speculation, yeah, I gotta go say against the lie of some guy. I think. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty close, uh, Paul. the The actual quote is: "The truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie." Ah, oh, um, who said that? Mark Mark Twain. <laughs> I was gonna say the oh. famous, famous Mark Twain quote that. Uh, the uh, a lie can get around the world before the truth gets its pants on, or something roughly along those lines, isn't that the, the approximate quote from Mark Twain, as I recall? That sounds like something from Mark Twain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you might Mark, be right about that. Mark Twain would be an interesting figure in the 21st century, is all I can say. Oh, that's true. That <laughs> yeah, he would. And, and <laughs> I, you know, I'd, I'd actually like to cast uh, Ben Franklin in contemporary times because I still yeah. sort of refer to him as, as uh, the world's first blogger. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Stitch in time stays nine. We we gotta take a uh, we gotta take a break here, but we'll come back and uh, and get into the quotes of the week when armchair politics continues. If you're listening to us on ninety two point one LP FM Flint, 
Um, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north discoveries down south. They happen when we least expect them. largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods in places we thought we city beyond. And discoveries have Where a way the of teaching melodies us a little of more about ourselves fill along the, air. the way. Where the Welcome work of renowned artists color County. the galleries and museums. Where up north, meets the fresh south. fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know I 
place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, uh, Technical difficulties notwithstanding. Actually, uh, the automation got a little screwy there during our uh, online break, but but it should be fine now. And and as I always say, technology is great when it works. Um, yeah, but I was uh, say, but go ahead. Paul. I, 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 during the break, I checked on that Mark Twain quote. It says, "A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes," and it's attributed to Mark Twain. But others may have said the same thing. So this, at least this one website says. So I knew it was pretty close to what we mentioned the other the last last uh, break. And Paul, I put my time to good use too. It was Hurricane Camille that you were referring to. Oh, oh that's okay. right. That's right. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and and uh, yeah, the 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 saying down there uh, after Katrina was that Camille killed more people than Katrina did because it created that that complacency where people decided they could ride it out and and unfortunately a lot of people couldn't but let's let's uh, move on with armchair politics and the quotes of the week i told members of the biden administration if we wait until the situation gets dire these people are going to be left in the wind hmm. mark pompeo no but that's a good guess i i thought maybe somebody would think it had something to do with the hurricane but it was uh U.S. It's not Afghanistan, yeah. Afghanistan, yeah, right? Yeah, U.S. Yeah. Representative Peter Meyer, a Republican from Grand oh, Rapids, Michigan, oh. back from an unauthorized visit to Afghanistan in the very gate at Kabul Airport where 13 U.S. military personnel and some 170 Afghans were killed Thursday, said troops have been put in an impossible situation by the Biden administration and that the last-minute evacuation may have led to a greater number of deaths there this week. On Tuesday, Meyer, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and an Army veteran, spent 15 hours in Kabul with another member of Congress, U.S. Representative Seth Moulton, a Democrat from Massachusetts who is also a veteran of the war in Iraq. Both have been criticized for the unauthorized visit with uh, Biden administration officials saying they diverted attention from the ongoing evacuation and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi accusing them of, quote, freelancing. Um, Is this freelancing and what is Speaker Pelosi's problem with it? Hmm. Look, I agree with her on this. This is... uh of all the weird things that happened during those period and a tragic, as we've talked about in the past, I, I think this is almost inexplicable because as veterans, they would know the chaos that was underway. And with all the world attention on this, they weren't going to add anything to the discussion. So I, I agree. They were in the way. And, if, and, if, and you have uh, to divert resources for security for them when they show up. I mean, Exactly. I mean, 
You know, exactly. as a matter of fact, I, I often see I often see the same thing when it's dealing with hurricanes and so forth. I mean, when presidents don't visit a hurricane site, sometimes it's a wise thing not to be there because the last thing they need to do is to prepare for a presidential visit while they're trying to rescue people out of the water. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> that happened to George Bush. Yeah, I remember, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And he, he got flack for it, but it, yes, he uh, did. He yeah, was responsible was, he for was, the flood. <laughs> Yeah, he was looking Not God, out guys. the window on He was looking out the window <laughs> yeah, on Air I remember Force that. One. That was yeah. all the picture. <laughs> that was the worst picture of there were Sorry, two bad pictures. It. Yeah, there were two bad pictures in his presidency. That was one and the other was him standing in the aircraft carrier with the banner mission accomplished. Oh yes. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. They, that they one. both the White House they wanted they, they wanted those pictures back, but they couldn't get them yeah. back. Yes. Yeah, that one uh, that one ranked right up there with uh, Mike Dukakis uh, riding on a tank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was bad. Right yeah. Well, yeah. the another quote from the week that uh, got my attention: Threats continue. I have looked out my windows and seen large groups of heavily armed people within thirty yards of my home. I have seen myself hung in effigy. Days ago at a demonstration, there was a sign that called for burning the witch. For me, things will never be the same. Governor Whitmer. That was. Yeah. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer elaborated on the plot to kidnap and potentially kill her and hateful rhetoric more broadly in a victim impact statement filed recently with a uh, Michigan federal court ahead of the sentencing of the first person to plead guilty in connection to the purported scheme to take the governor hostage. Should the charges and penalties in this key, in this case be the same or similar to those relating to threats made against the president? I do think that public officials should be protected from yeah. that kind of insurgency, but <clears throat> uh, should they be the same? Uh, well, you know, the president uh, serves all of the people, umbrellas, everybody. So you got to put a lot of weight on that one. But you also have to put a lot of weight on governors, too, who serve. Yeah, I mean, a threat is a threat. Yeah, yeah. a threat. Yeah. Yes. I guess I'd say similar. I mean, maybe maybe not identical, but certainly similar, because it's sort of assuming the threats were serious threats. Well, I think you could have the same penalties, but one would be a state statute and one would be a uh, yeah, federal right. statute, right. I think, and, and uh, that's how I would look at it, but uh, I don't, you know, you you folks are up there, I this read about this, because this is a national story, the continuing uh, issues in Michigan, uh, I, I don't know, there are, you tell me, half a dozen states where there are these continuing sort of roiling of the uh, political waters beyond just discourse into things like this. And it is concerning, is what I would say. It's got to be dealt with. Yeah. It's, it's the same uh, deal if you were, um, if people of color were intimidated. The government must stand up to it, and it uh, has the same weight, whether it's in the state or whether it's federal. And, and you know, right. the governor is no different. He has the same should have the same protection as the president should. People you know, should the weight of the safety of people is very important. I was going to say there are there are some who argue that the uh, 
the march on the, the Michigan Capitol uh, was kind of a rehearsal for the uh, January 6th insurrection in Washington. Uh, it may not be quite that literally true, but certainly there were some similarities between the two. I think that's correct in the sense that everything echoes through the social media now, and and uh, and people say, "See, look at this. This was effective. Let's let's do this." And uh, you know, you just move one one small step at a time, and then all of a sudden, you've taken some great leap at the end. It's just uh, that's just how it works, unfortunately. Well, and and look what was going on out in uh, was it Portland. At, oh, around, yeah. at around that same time, mm-hmm. you know, there there literally was an occupation of city uh, buildings mm-hmm. going on, and and uh, I think Mark's right. These things have a tendency to build confidence, you know, toward doing the next big weird thing. Um, and and you know, Mark is always very gracious and says he he doesn't know about you know local issues but uh, i know he's he's come to really appreciate some of flint's politics and i know he's going to love this one <laughs> the city of flint is allowed to garnish councilman eric mays's wages to continue paying a judgment for legal fees from a recent lawsuit which the court deemed frivolous a federal judge ordered Mays to pay over $42,000 in attorney fees in May from a lawsuit he filed against the city of Flint and other council members. The city filed a request in U.S. District Court to garnish Mays' uh, paychecks as a councilman in July, which Mays challenged. However, the judge denied Mays' challenge and will allow the city to move forward with garnishing Mays' paychecks until the judgment is paid off. <laughs> Should the charges, uh, or uh, could Mays avoid this judgment by resigning his position on the council? <laughs> and and do you think yeah. he ever would? I, I, would, well, I don't I, think he ever would. I don't think that's going to happen. But, I don't uh, think he'd make that much money uh, during the le- rest of his career as a council. Well, what's the, the council's paid, what, is it 20000 a year, 21000 Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I think it's in the low 20s, last I heard, I believe. Yeah. Uh, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two thousand a year, I think. Of course, he can always pawn some more computers if he has to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a tough one, but yeah. uh, you, you you have to protect the interest of the public funds because they are from tax dollars, and people must know that. And nobody can escape taking money away from the public trust for that reason. If you miss well, the other, that. Yeah, the other piece of this is uh, people just file a lawsuit in the old time now. Our system allows that, and uh, they, yeah. they, there's got to be a consequence if it's frivolous. I don't know the underlying facts here, but but you can't just uh, tie up the courts. It's, it's what we were just talking about with your congressman. People just say, "Oh, I'm just going to go make my statement." Well, there's a there's a cost if you're if you're yes. uh, in, in this in this situation. Well, just two days after recall language filed against Davison School Board member Matthew Smith was thrown out by Genesee County Elections Commission, new wording has been filed. Davison resident 
Janessa Phillips, who filed the original recall language on August 20th, declined to appeal the ruling on her original recall and filed a new recall with more concise language. The new language reads, The state of Michigan has charged Matthew Smith with malicious use of telecommunication services to threaten physical harm or damage to the Houghton County clerk. Um, is and and Smith for uh, Mark's edification is uh, also the Genesee County chair of the Republican Party. Is Smith in danger of actually being successfully recalled from his school board seat? Mm. Henry may know better than I do, but I would suspect, given given his constituency, I I would suspect not. I mean that that issue has been out there for a while. And so it's no surprise that he's if he's facing those charges. So I, again, my gut reaction is I mean it, it, it may be a way of bringing, raising the issue for for some voters, but I, I think it's going to be tough to recall given the the constituency he's got. What do you think, Henry? Well, you know that depends on what the balance of Republicans and Democrats in the, is in that jurisdiction. <clears throat> um, there there are people that don't like Republicans. You know there are a lot of them that don't like. Republicans in Tennessee County, and they can tolerate them as long as your name doesn't show up in an adverse way before the yeah. public, and then everybody jumps on the bandwagon. So it, although Matthew Smith is a very talented young man, very successful at public service, a good speaker, does his homework, uh, gives credit to others. And, and, he's, and he's real young too. He's what yeah. was he, was early twenties, twenty eight years old, something yeah, like mid, that. Mid-20s. Yeah, mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, his career now will rest on what happens in the school district. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, he'll lose a career in public service for the time being. Well, I. I don't usually uh, weigh in too much on these things, but I would speculate that uh, Matthew Smith is going to be around for a while. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my hunch, just given yeah. his, his personality. And, and again, like I say, he's pretty, for a young guy, he's really had a substantial impact already, so I think he'll be a player. One, well, Even if he is recalled, I suspect that will not be at the end of his career. Uh, and, I, and yeah. my guess is he's probably not going to be because I think I think Davison is it's it's, a, it's leaning Republican lately. I think it went for Trump this last yeah. time around, and uh, so I I think he'll have the support there. And yeah, I hope uh, everything comes out that. well because uh, that that hurts the party uh, for new people who um, are dissident Democrats or or independents who tend to vote for Republicans. A lot rests on what happens to Matt here. And then you're getting the conversion of people of color to the Republican Party. That could also hamper that. I hope everything comes out well for him. Well, I, tell, I, think I mentioned before, whenever, whenever we, we drive out uh, on Davison Road toward Davis, and I see all the, I see and he saw or still see a little Trump signs, and I presume it was all Matt's, uh, Matt's doing, because <laughs> I think he lives along there somewhere, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's, and, and there's I, I a guy. There, there was just a, a whole long line of Trump signs out in that direction, more so than I would expect the, the actual support is. But uh, I would presume that uh, that he was the one who uh, who 
got out there and, and, and put up the signs and got, got all of his neighbors to do the same thing. Yeah, I've got a guy well, down you know, at the end of the street that has a flagpole in the front yard, and he's got a big Trump Yeah, flag. yeah I believe that's, that's, I always assumed that was his house when I drove by it. But guys, uh, don't forget that Trump was very, very popular in Genesee County, in the out county. He was very, in, in oh, yeah, my well, area, it just signs are still standing in these uh, areas. That's, you know, that's one of the strange things about this past election, Henry. I can never recall any election where six, eight, ten months after the election, the, the campaign signs are still out there. But I, you drive around, and I'm still seeing Trump signs here and there. Not a lot, but more than a few. People uh, are defiant. They used, they used yeah. to enforce that a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's, they yeah. find the campaigns, and the campaigns, if the people didn't take them up in their yards by the deadline, oh, the campaigns... You know, got some kids in a pickup truck and went around and got them because they That's got right. they got fined if they if they didn't. Anyway, this uh, this next piece is is a, the setup is a little bit long, so bear with me. Uh, thousands of Flint residents were put at potential risk because a New York law firm for six months used handheld X-ray devices to scan their bones for lead without first registering the devices and putting recommended safety measures in place, according to uh, documents obtained by the uh, Detroit Free Press. Starting in about August of 2020, the Napoli Skolnick firm obtained or uh, used the portable scanners, which are tools in the mining and scrap metal industries, but are not designed for use on humans as a way of bolstering residents' claims for larger shares of a proposed $641 million settlement of civil lawsuits arising from the 2014 lead poisoning of Flint's drinking water supply. The law firm's failure until February of 2021 to register the devices with the state of Michigan as required by law and the state's low-key response once it learned the scanners had been used for months without required approvals add insult to uh, the injury that was the Flint drinking water crisis. Unfortunately, thousands of bone scans using these devices went forward under improper and illegal circumstances, said Dr. Lawrence Reynolds, a Flint pediatrician and former president and CEO of Mott Children's Health Center, who first raised concerns about the scanners in a February court filing. It turns out that the violations and safety concerns were valid um, and even went beyond what many of us suspected and feared. Blood tests showing high lead readings are another way to qualify for higher shares of the proposed settlement. But since lead only stays in the blood for a short time, many Flint residents have only the bone scan option to document their exposure. Stationary bone scan equipment designed for humans exists, but nowhere near Flint. Jason Moon, a spokesman for the Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity, which includes MIOSHA, said the uh, law firm apparently was not aware it was supposed to register the radiation devices with the state. The agency prefers to work with registrants to ensure compliance rather than prosecute them, he said. There was no indication from MIOSHA's inspections that an individual operating these machines or having the machine used on them was exposed to radiation at dangerous or unsafe levels, Moon said. Shouldn't the state of Michigan 
equip one of the hospitals in the Flint area with a proper stationary bone scanner? I'm surprised. Of course, we have a lead problem, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you know, and I give Dr. Reynolds high respect for doing his research uh, because he's very good at it and he comes forward. Henry, are you still there? We lose you, Henry? Yeah, sounds like he dropped right out. Mark, are you still with us? Yes, I I am. I just, uh, you know, I follow Hello? this issue. Okay, can, can there's you, Henry. He's can you hear me? There we go. Yeah. So, I, I had an interference call, but but the, I'm sorry. The city of Flint Health Department should have known that. They knew. And the Michigan Department of Public Health should have known that, and they should have released that. But what they did is let it smolder. And now we're in a whole new area of complaints, mistrust of government. You know, and this won't go away, uh, guys. And it was used in Flint. And basically, it would appear to many people who are going to use this probably as it was done to people because of their color. You know, they opened up a lot of areas that didn't have to exist. Considering how big the lead issue has been in Flint for, what, six, seven years now, it's yes. amazing that there's not a, a device yes. within the county to, to measure that kind of thing. So you have like, to pass off some of this this uh, scandal to uh, the Department of Public Health. They had well, to I have agree. Gotten... Go ahead, Matt. I agree with all that. Once you descend into a morass, which Flint did, and you're in this incredibly bad spot a crisis spot basically whatever your role is you're a contractor you're a state official a federal official you're all subject to the same scrutiny and you've got to be 100 percent clear on your facts and what you're doing and you've, you've got to because otherwise you're contributing to the further erosion as henry's saying of the public trust and that's it's just going to take decades for flint to uh, rebuild trust uh, frankly uh, and every little bit hurts I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think trust is the main thing that's been lost here. And as, as you say, even after the water is fixed, it's going to take a long time for people to trust it again. Well, it and it doesn't help when even attempts to resolve the issue cause more problems. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes. And uh, money yeah. can't money can't take care of all of the issues either, because those linger around. Yeah, but even if this is very expensive equipment, it it seems like it would have been worth the expense to make sure that there was a, a, a proper bone scanner in the Flint area soon after it became obvious that people were going to have to demonstrate their exposure to collect on civil lawsuits. You know, I'm amazed that, hospitals, that some hospital here doesn't happen. We've got a number of major, large hospitals around here and medical facilities. I'm surprised that one of them at least doesn't have something that, some kind of bone scanner like that. Well, and it says nowhere yeah, near I don't know Flint, what it costs, and, and I don't know if that includes Detroit and Lansing and Grand Rapids um, when they say that the one doesn't exist anywhere near Flint. But I'm surprised there's not one in Genesee County. Like I said, we got you know. I am too. Th- three or four major major hospitals and medical facilities around here, and 
I would assume they have a whole range of medical equipment, and as it would seem that that would be, a, especially in Flint, it would be one thing you would want to have in your in your arsenal of, of, of medical testing equipment. And, and uh, the health department or hospitals could have farmed that out to laboratories, send the people to laboratories where they have this these devices that can do that. Laboratories can do most anything that you would like to have tested. We have certified labs throughout the United States. Well, Why gonna, that wasn't done, I well, don't know. Look, here's the thing. Uh, Mark, Mark I've, got to stop you. I've got to stop you there. there we'll pick it up right after the break. Here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. 
Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Mark Everson joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for this week's Armchair Politics. And it was Mark's turn to get cut off when we went to break, so we're we're going to pick up with Mark. And and just to to remind people, we were talking about this idea of using uh, portable bones or portable scanners to detect lead in bones using portable equipment that's meant for industrial use using it on people instead of a uh, uh, a stationary unit in a hospital or someplace but one doesn't exist in the flint area yeah all i was going to say tom was look when you get to the questions of health and technology it's bad but when you throw in radiation on top of it that's a loser. It's a sure loser. And uh, somebody's got to have some common sense when they're dealing with these kinds of things. Yeah. Now, were there other, besides not being terribly accurate, were there other physical impacts of, of these kind of tests on, on individuals? Well, the concern was that there was going to be uh, uh, dangerous levels of radiation. Yeah. yeah. And, and, even the people that oppose the use of the device have concluded that there hasn't been. But the equipment wasn't made to use on people, and yeah. and, uh, and it was never properly registered. They registered. They just found, you know, these, these law firms needed some way to demonstrate lead exposure, and they shopped around and grabbed the first portable device that, you know, they could take to a deposition and <laughs> and scan somebody with. <laughs> yeah. You know what surprised me, too, is that I, I've always argued that I think in terms of the changing economy of Genesee County, I was, I can't prove this by numbers, but I would suspect we have more employees in the medical industry, medical business, than we have in the automotive business anymore. If you add up all the hospitals and all the medical facilities, I mean, there are, there are some places around here in Genesee County, I'm thinking Linden Road, where you go it's almost wall-to-wall medical facilities of one kind or another for several miles in, in, in the west side of the county. At uh, one point, Paul, Hurley Hospital became the largest employer uh, in Flint, in yeah. Flint proper. That's and, only one hospital. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think you're right about that. Um. Well, let's let's uh, let's move on to Lansing. The Michigan GOP cannot use its administrative fund to back a petition proposing major changes to voting in Michigan, determined uh, by a preliminary review by the Michigan Department of State that was issued Tuesday. 
The review by the department's Bureau of Elections was requested by longtime GOP strategist and former general counsel for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, Bob LeBrant. In a June 28th letter to the Bureau, LeBrant raised concerns about the possibility that the Michigan GOP might use its administrative fund to funnel undisclosed contributions to a petition drive that would circumvent Governor Gretchen Whitmer's expected veto of GOP election bills. Secure Michigan Vote announced the launch of a petition drive Monday to enact stricter voter ID requirements bar the Secretary of State and clerks from providing unsolicited absentee ballot applications, and prohibit election officials from accepting third-party sources of funding. The announcement follows comments by Michigan GOP Chairman Ron Weiser in March that the state party planned to pay county parties to circulate a petition to bypass Whitmer's veto of bills introduced by GOP state senators proposing the major overhaul of elections. The plan outlined by Weiser prompted LeBrant to ask the Bureau of Elections to clarify the campaign finance regulations that will apply to political parties wishing to fund such an effort. Should political party organizations be allowed to influence uh, voting rules and regulations? Well, they should be responsible for at least overseeing that the process works, that the voting machines work. So, yeah, they have a little bit to say about it, but, but for... Uh, yeah, but can, uh, they, but can they fund a, a petition for, campaign to change the rules? Probably shouldn't be able to use your, 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 your party campaigns for those things. Yeah. I mean, clearly, the parties are going to get involved. There's Can't no use that campaign. kind of money for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. raise money for that. I was think that that would be ugly. You know, I was going to say, one, one ironic thing I find about all these the attempts, particularly to limit the absentee voting on this part of the Republican Party, is that that may blow up in their face in the sense that historically, Republicans have usually had the advantage in absentee votes. Now, it wasn't true in 2020, to be sure, but in earlier years, generally, the absentee vote has, has gone uh, more Republican. So I, I wonder if some of those those attempts to limit the absentee or the mail-in voting might might backfire on, on, on the Republicans. Yeah, I guess I'd just say I am uncomfortable with um, the expansion of party activities to get into the conduct of elections per se. I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky because obviously when you sit there at the polling place, you have observers from both parties, but yeah. It just seems like we've gotten to where everything is much more uh, contentious and involved with with the the parties themselves, and I'm not sure that's that's a good thing. And uh, it may it may erode trust in the elections it's for um, for both parties. I agree with that, and um, I you know people are still talking about auditing results in Arizona, as everybody knows, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and. and uh, I uh, I'm very struck by this. You talked you talked a few minutes ago about signs still up in the election. Well, there are some people who are they're not just indicating their support; they're actually still contesting the election. Is yeah, something. that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer will veto a bill that bans using the state's public threat alert system to announce COVID-19 rules and regulations. While Whitmer's administration did send pandemic alerts to millions of Michiganders, it did not use the specific system at the focus of the Republican-led legislation. The GOP-controlled Senate on Wednesday voted 20 to 16 along party lines to support House Bill 4061, a measure that passed along a uh, similar partisan divide in the House. Whitmer spokesman Bobby Letty said the alerts are a crucial tool to fight COVID-19 and the governor does not plan to sign this legislation. With the Delta variant spreading across the country, it's important to recognize that we still need to have every resource available to slow the spread of this dangerous variant, which is why the governor does not plan to sign this bill into law, Letty said. Should there be restrictions on the governor's use of public threat alert systems? If the people, if she does it uh, to protect the people's interest or to save lives, she should have unlimited. But if she's doing it for political reasons, yes. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it could be abused, but in this case, when I saw this story, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, gee, why... You know why? Why raise the issue? I, I mean, I, I I have not seen it being abused. I uh, <clears throat> sometimes I get emergency alerts for things that are kind of irrelevant to me personally, but it just is something you live with. I I, uh, I again I kind of shrugged my shoulders when I saw the story. I think that's right. You've got to let the executive do their job, and if the people feel that there have been abuses. Um, in discretion, well, you turn out that individual or that party when you get to the next election, but the executive has to discharge his duties. He can't write uh, exacting rules that govern each and every situation about when you can do X or Y. It just, it's just too cumbersome, I would tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least in Michigan, it seems the pandemic has uh, created uh, an opportunity for a for a real battle between those two branches of government, the legislature and the governor's office. You know, the governor used uh, existing emergency uh, uh, statutes to um, put out various uh, executive orders on mask use and... and, uh, what what was considered essential businesses and all of those things and then it, it what was expected to be the kind of actions you take in the wake of a tornado or a big snowstorm or a hurricane uh, turned into this year and a half long thing and the legislature has been using the fact that these things were never intended to go beyond a month that uh, right that that this this became a reason to take those uh, emergency powers away and they've been fighting you know from several different directions uh, in in fact getting one law uh, that allowed for emergency response completely overturned yeah in an ideal world i think the legislature and the governor ought to work together but clearly in this partisan time, everything becomes a partisan issue. And you saw, 
you think of, more than anything else, if any issue could unite both parties, it ought to be a fight against a, a pandemic. But it certainly hasn't played out that way. Well, let, here me, in Michigan. Let, let me say this, be a little more positive on this. I, 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 I've said this before on this uh, exchange, that, that I'm encouraged by the fact that different entities, be they school boards, be they county uh, boards of supervisors, or be they state legislatures and the executives, they're all sort of fighting to and and working to take the best decisions in uh, what are challenging circumstances. I think that's actually good for our democracy, uh, painful as it can be in this instance, um, and maybe they don't quite get it wrong, but I do think there's sort of an, a reassertion of local control, if you will, in a lot of this stuff that the pandemic has brought out. And well, well put, oh, Mark. Uh, we, uh, we're at the top of the hour. We have to break for uh, show ID, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair right after Hi, this. I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.